<laughs> Cut off. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Misok Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? How am I doing? Well, at the point of recording, I'm doing okay. <laughs> how are you doing? Actually, I'm, I'm laughing because <laughs> I was just about to wear my yellow Stadio t-shirt this morning. I was like, nah, like, don't do that. That'll be a bit like, <laughs> you're wearing your yellow Stadio t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been like the Spider-Man meme where we're pointing at each other. <laughs> Except hey, it's you. Your stadio. No, your stadio. Yeah, except um, you're far more talented. But anyway, move at on. What, at what exactly? At what exactly? <laughs> at many things. Self-promotion, maybe. <laughs> Stop it. Marketing. Moose or marketing genius. The worst at marketing. <laughs> <laughs> you're good at marketing your friends. That's. I, I don't know if people who listen to this podcast notice, but Moose is very good at marketing his friends. <laughs> well... Better, better be mark myself these days, but um, yeah. Uh, we're so, doing a what if episode today because we are, we, we are. So we're just a heads up. We're recording this a little bit ahead of when it's coming out yep. because at the time of listening to this, Musa will be on a very well earned short break, thoroughly deserved because you've worked extremely hard this year. Well, thank you. Well, likewise, I've really, I'm really looking forward to it. So yeah, I'll be away next week, but we'll have a podcast for you anyway. So we won't leave you high and dehydrated. Yeah, I mean, by the time you've listened to this, you may have already heard um, Lionel Messi to Newcastle emergency board. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, wow. (laughs) Messi to Newcastle. Stop it. Stop it. Sorry. That's just mean. That's more mean than that dude. Pochettino's Pochettino's new signing of the new project. Oh, don't. You can't can't trust Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce needs an opportunity to manage Lionel Messi. He does, he does. Anyway, so today's show, we're doing a what if episode. Thanks to everyone who submitted what ifs. They were great. We're gonna, we've picked out a few, which are quite fun. I think they're ones we've swerved before. Undoubtedly, there will be one in there that involves us completely eliminating Jose Mourinho's entire career. Yep. As is the Stadio way for any what if episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what does this mean for Mourinho? Yeah, wow, it's always, actually, it's always Do you even get Mourinho? <laughs> 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 oh, what, such an agenda. Fake news. Fake news. Turn back control. Take back control. <laughs> Good grief. So yeah, we're going to get into those after this. Just a quick bit of admin. Don't forget, Stadio theme music is available to buy. Stadio.bandcamp.com. We're donating all the money. All the info is up there. Don't forget, if you also like music, Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. You can search on Spotify for Stadio Outros. The playlist of all the music we play on each week. The newest one at the top. And I think that's all the admin. Oh yeah, there would be pieces up on The Ringer this week. So make sure you double check theringer.com forward slash soccer. I reckon that's all the admin. So should we get into the what ifs? Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. 
This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Okay, so our first what if is a really interesting one. And it's from Tully Tokyo on Twitter, who says, what if Roman Abramovich chose to buy Portsmouth instead of Chelsea in June 2003, which is a little rumor that has surfaced. So, wow. Context. At the end of the 2002-2003 season, Chelsea had finished fourth in the Premier League. Abramovich bought Chelsea in what, June 2003? So the end of that season. Portsmouth won the championship and were promoted into the Premier League. At the end of the 2003-2004 season, which would have been Abramovich's first season as Portsmouth owner, without him, Portsmouth finished a very respectable 13th. One place above Tottenham Hotspur. And Chelsea finished second behind Arsenal, who famously won the league unbeaten that season. So let's do it. This is blowing my mind. Wow. Okay. Um, This is big. This is huge. Portsmouth become a monster if he goes there. Mm. It happens. It just ha- it's inevitable they become a monster. But this is the first thing I want to talk about. Those who know Portsmouth, that car park that took years to get redeveloped, that absolute eyesore. What happens to like, let's forget what even happens to the club, first of all. The regeneration of that entire area, mm-hmm. the demographic of that area, the wealth in that area as a regional rival to Southampton, because Portsmouth so often was in the shadow of those, cl- those, those towns, right? The whole demographic changes. And the thing is this, right? Portsmouth is the kind of town on which a manager like a Mourinho can impose an identity. Mm-hmm. He might still go somewhere like that. And then all of a sudden you've got what this incredible thing, you've got these two port towns, you've got Portsmouth and you've got Porto and you've got like all of that. So if you get in all the kind of like- I like that symmetry. Yeah, exactly. The graphic designers, the brand people, you basically create Portsmouth as an identity. Forget like, because Chelsea has an identity, right? Portsmouth has one, but you basically take all the best parts of Portsmouth's history and you basically do a Man City on it. And Portsmouth Mm. basically becomes- like an Etihad type energy. When the Etihad, the way the Etihad's read about the surrounding area, the, rede- the redevelopment of Portsmouth becomes something absolutely thrilling. And the impact that has on regional clubs and rivalries goes through the roof. You could actually argue that will fundamentally, ch- it will reshape, it will shift the centre of gravity of English football or give it a new centre. It would, I think it would be that big. I think it would be absolutely incredible. Like, because then you'd have Southampton, Portsmouth and Bournemouth, you'd have that sort of the three-way rivalry there for the South Coast and it would be absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean, I I slightly disagree with the Bournemouth thing just because this was way ahead of when they became anywhere near, they became anywhere close to the Premier League. But I think that comes, I think that all comes. Mm. I think it all, I think it accelerates that process. This is what I'm saying. I think I'm getting excited about this because I can imagine one of the first things they do is get in like really amazing ex uh, sort of elder older pros like Hierro at Bolton, you get some moves like mm. that. But you also get some incredible quick wins. And then here and there, 
you get at least one Joao Felix type signing. Mm. You get one player who is like young, brilliant, emblematic, who everyone else in Europe is after. And instead of going to AC Milan or Real, so-and-so has gone to Portsmouth. I mean, I, I think the thing that's really interesting about this squad though from that year, so the 2003-2004 Portsmouth squad, which was their first in the Premier League under Harry Redknapp, had some really interesting players in it. Shaka Hislop was in goal. Right. He had Dejan Stefanovic, Ian Dezeu, who's now solving crime. Yes. Uh, Tim Sherwood was there. Teddy yep. Sheringham, Andy Fay was there. Good players. Uh, Yakubu was there. Patrick Berger. You had some decent players in that squad. And like you say that, you know, even without that help, they finished 13th in the Premier League. Let's just assume hypothetically that he invests to the level that he invested in Chelsea mm. in those early years. It's the decentralization of football wealth outside of London. That's it's, the thing that's really interesting to me. Like you mentioned, yeah. like becoming, uh, you mentioned that thing about the South Coast. This would have been such a statement, especially coming a few years prior to Man City's investment. I wonder then maybe that if you have this wealth spread a little bit more outside of just London and, and Manchester United, in the mid 2000s, you already have a project like this developing on the South Coast, where they're actually the Abu Dhabi group think that Manchester City are a good shout or whether they maybe go after someone like Aston Villa because it's less necessary to have a club in a major, major, huge, like, well, Birmingham is technically the second city still, still so it's not so, so uh, wild to think that the Abu Dhabi group would invest in the club in Birmingham. But then if you think about it, you have Arsenal in London, Chelsea is still no paupers, but they're not of the level of the Abramovich funding. You have Portsmouth on the south coast. You have Manchester United still. And then you maybe have someone like Aston Villa who are consistently competing for top four and potentially even more than that. And you have this spread of, top, of the top six along the whole country. I find that possibility really interesting. Extremely interesting. I think it changes and, everything. Yeah. Yeah. And then you wonder how it, I mean, it may, this may, we've, we've not really spoke about football stuff so much. We've kind of talked about a lot of, you know, cultural stuff. But I do wonder whether, I mean, if you think then this is what, four or five years before the Tories come into power in the, in the UK, one of the first things they did was just to strip funding from the North of England. Um, I've mentioned this on the podcast before growing up, you know, I was in Manchester before I moved to Berlin and you would, you could visibly see the funding from various community centers and stuff like that. Just go yeah, visibly. I wonder whether the, the centralization of wealth on the whole happens to the degree that it does towards London because you have investment from outside sources like football clubs, especially at the time when the Premier League starts to get super rich, whether it affects stuff like the local economy, housing prices, industry. You know, if you have a major footballing force on the South Coast, like a, a major footballing force that is competing in Europe, in the Champions League, going deep in the competition, what that does. Everything changes everything, right? Even on the football side, right? Mm. I think it changes everything to Cornwall. I think honestly, mm. Portsmouth, I, I think it's that big. I think Portsmouth coming in, a brand rich at Portsmouth changes everything all the way to Penzance. I think mm. it changes the entire structure demographic of where wealth is held. Because let's not forget, a brand rich moved to the UK to have a kind of a new place, like a new status to find part of the establishment. So if he moved to Portsmouth, it would be there'd be an establishment in the South Coast. Like it, you can also, he can also just pull his yacht right up there. Exactly. Literally got a place for his yacht. Dude, I didn't want to say it, but 
There we go. You did. Yeah, Everyone I, did. Yeah. It changes so much socially and culturally. Mm-hmm. Like it, I think it changes, like I say, I think it changes everything from Portsmouth down to Penzance. If you think about it, you, he bought a club in, that was in one of the most expensive boroughs in London and probably one of the most expensive boroughs in the world. Right. And whilst the for- it changed the fortunes for the football club, it's hard to have such a huge knock-on effect in the wider region because you're already in what many consider to be the centre of the universe, especially financial universe. Right. I wonder whether maybe something changes at Newcastle earlier and you have this really interesting spread throughout the country, even maybe towards like Middlesbrough Hull, the Yorkshire clubs. Obviously, it's hugely easy to make the sweeping judgment about what could potentially change in terms of the Premier League landscape over the next 15 years to where we are now, 15, 16 years. But I think that one of the major problems we've seen is that, you know, London is so desirable as a lifestyle for many footballers that you will get many people go to clubs like West Ham, Fulham, places like that, where they know then they're probably not going to compete for the very, very top, top trophies because they're in London. You know, in Germany, for example, I think one thing that's really interesting about Germany is how various industries spread throughout the country so that no one city is completely dominant over the rest of the country. Yeah. You know, obviously Berlin is the capital and it draws a lot of people internationally, but in terms of industry, it's not the same. Right. Um, You know, Hamburg is a richer city. You have Cologne is obviously a major, major, major hub. Dusseldorf for advertising and marketing and stuff like that. And you have Stuttgart, which is very auto-focused. Obviously Wolfsburg as well with the Volkswagen plant. And then you have Munich and then you have Frankfurt as the banking center. Exactly. Yeah. So the thing that Germany is really great at is that Different regions of the country are the specialists in different industries. Whereas I think the problem that you have in England specifically, and I'd extend this to the UK, but obviously you have hubs in Glasgow, Belfast, etc. and Cardiff, is that everything is so focused around London that it's like having a tick that's just drawing more and more blood. Yes. It's really hard to stop. Yeah. And I think that we've seen with the growth of the Premier League over the last 15 years specifically, how important, and I take Manchester City as a prime example of this, the, the amount of, the, the amount that they invested into the surrounding area with the Man City campus and all of this kind of stuff, how much of a community regenerational impact, a regenerational word, the amount of impact that they can have on in terms of regenerating an area with that amount of investment is huge. And it's quite hard to do that in the area of London that Chelsea is. The effects of that in somewhere like Portsmouth would be astronomical. Well, I think that this is, and this is exactly why it was the first thing that leapt to my mind because I was thinking your value for money. I was down in Portsmouth a couple of times at work and your value for money there in 2003 would have been extraordinary. The wages you could have afforded because you could have saved a certain amount of overheads. You could have paid players a lot and had change left over. Um, and I think what it would have done, I think the regeneration of that area Mm. through the football would have driven further investment, not because the government necessarily cared about people in that area, but because if it becomes a desirable area for industry and tech companies moving there, then all of a sudden money pours in. And we all know that Cornwall, like one of the poorest funded areas, I mean, it's not, you know, not, but round the corner from Portsmouth, Mm. just down the road from Portsmouth, Cornwall, one of the poorest funded areas in the whole of Europe. Maybe Mm. that changes the fate of Cornwall economically. Like, I think it's that big a deal. Like, I think it's Mm. that big a deal. And in terms of what happens on the field to Portsmouth, um, by 2000, so if Abramovich takes over in 2003, by now, they are a solid Europa League prospect by now. I think it's a bit of a stretch for them to get right up there and win stuff. 
but I think they're a solid Europa League with at least one Champions League qualification. The stuff that Portsmouth went through, well, in the last 10 years, it's been a real tough journey for that club. None of that happens. None of the financial meltdown that happens at Portsmouth, Portsmouth obviously happens. Um, I think they are, I don't think they get relegated for, for a start. I just don't think it's possible to do that with that amount of investment from, from Abramovich. I think like you say, I think they are, I think they are consistently part of the top six. Yep. Absolutely. Or maybe that becomes a top seven because it's hard to know whether Chelsea would be a, an established part of that top six if the money had gone elsewhere. It changes absolutely everything because then what it does is Abramovich going to Portsmouth, you're right, it then makes owners take a chance on other clubs and not just owners, but owners at that scale. Because we've had mm. wealthy people take over clubs before of a similar size. What we haven't had is owners of that size take on projects or clubs like which were kind of slightly off the kind of the, the, the radar in terms of the targets you typically think of. So mm-hmm. it, it might mean you get a more ambitious buyer for Newcastle, actually. It might, yeah. mean, it might mean that a club like Newcastle becomes lower hanging fruit. Maybe Abu Dhabi group by Newcastle. Yeah, it's all like, you know, it's all investor confidence, isn't it? It's all mm. investor confidence. Like, to be honest, it could become a bit of a financial arms race on the South Coast. And that sounds a bit well, cynical. And like, that, that's grim. Yeah. That's maybe a grim way to frame it. But I think it just changes football altogether. And we notice how we've barely even discussed the actual football implications because the implications socially of that would be so big. Yeah, I mean, and I'm going to go, f- you know, typical rye on this as well. And, uh, you know, does Brexit happen? Oh my God, I knew you were going to do it. I was like, just, ha, 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 I was like, well, congratulations to everyone who had the uh, Ryan what if bingo card. And they I was literally it. waiting. I didn't want to say, because the second I mentioned Cornwall and the redevelopment, I was like, Lisa, don't, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. Dude, I think I chopped it out of the what if when we were talking about the Soviet Union, Netherlands game in the Euros 88. Yeah. But I literally chopped a bit out of that. And it was purely for time where I questioned whether the fall of the Soviet Union would happen as quickly as it did. (laughs) And this all came from, I think, if Poland beat Germany in 74. Yeah, yeah, it did. That's where we got to. So if Poland beat Germany in 74, we questioned, well, I questioned whether the Soviet Union, the the dismantling of the Soviet Union would happen as quickly (laughs) as it did, which is, you know, that's big stadio energy. Big stadio you know? energy, yeah, exactly. But no, I, I know that's a little bit of a flippant and slightly tongue-in-cheek thing to say, but one of the major reasons for Brexit was a lack of financial stability in various regional areas of the UK. Particularly these ones. Yeah. Yeah. Our default setting in football is better financial parity and quali- and equality throughout all the clubs and leagues in Europe. Yeah. I do wonder whether you have... Whether it extends to other leagues, maybe people see clubs outside of major, major, major cities and choose to place their investments in those, you know, could say. It could be cynical as well. Cynical as well. I just wonder what a more measured approach to investment all across the country would have done over time, not just from football, but other regions. But anyway. Everybody, it's just like the Washington Wizards said, although execute that methodology a lot better than they did. Everybody eats, yeah, everybody eats. Trust the process. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, let's take a break. Still. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise gymnastics in the water 
pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. All right, we're back from the break. Let's have another what if. And this one is one that we get sent a lot. And we've done quite a lot of Arsenal what ifs, but I think it's been a while. So let's do this one. So shout out to AFC Jord, Shine Papers, Ben Smith and Canadian Tings on Twitter, who basically all said a variation of the same one. And that is, what if Arsenal had hired Johan Cruyff instead of Arsene Wenger, as was very, very much rumoured? Did Arsenal fans ask this? Many. I actually, do you know what? I'm actually, do not... Can I be honest? Uh-oh. I'm tempted to conduct my first ever boycott of a Stadio What If question. That is so disrespectful. That is so... That is so... Did, Are you not entertained? I am so... Is, can I just say, before I answer this, and I will answer eventually, it's the most... This is one of the most disrespectful. I, I'm... Can I... Look, at you can see my face. This is a genuine... As I heard the question unfold, Ryan, I went through a, a range of emotions. Primary one was horror. Like, you ungrateful. <laughs> oh my, I'm sorry, I'm genuinely shocked that anyone, <laughs> that anyone would look at what Wenger did at Arsenal and want to imagine anything more beautiful than that. With all its challenges, with all its problems, I don't think you can imagine, I can't envisage a more beautiful transition of anything. And I think weirdly enough, let me be honest, I don't think Croy would have done as well as Arsene Wenger at Arsenal, because the very specific transition that Wenger had to execute was so subtle, was so difficult, was so... Tony Adams sees Cruyff coming in. Those two might butt heads in a very different way. The way that Wenger led from the back. Wenger came in under the radar, and I think in a way Wenger's anonymity stole a march. This was Thank going to you. be my first point. Right. Wenger's anonymity is what enabled him to make those changes because he came in and all people saw was method. When this aging dressing room had Cruyff there, it was like, what can we rage against? We know that our light is dying. What can we rage against? Cruyff is a machine. Let's rage against that. And you would have had more dissent. But when Wenger came in, it was just like, try this, try that, try this, try that. And every single day, Arsenal's players that come in that would have tried to cause a bit of a revolution or a bit of a, an uprising, all they were faced with was an equation. Imagine walking to class every single day as a, as a student and all you see on the board is a new equation. You've got to work it out. As opposed to walking to class every day and seeing a personality who's going to shape you into his new image. And if you can't play the Cruyffian way, you'll be discarded in all this stuff. This is something that people, and the people asking that question I don't think people fully understand what Wenger did at Arsenal, if they're asking that. Sorry, this sounds really harsh of me. I'm not an Arsenal fan, but at the moment I feel like I almost am. I'm almost like, 
Put some respect on this man's name. You know what you like? This, right? You know the cat meme? Yeah. With the uh, screaming lady. Yeah, I'm the screaming lady. You're the screaming lady. And everyone who asked that, that question it's is the just cat. The, this, the cat across the room. <laughs> and I'm the one trying to hold you back. Yeah, that's Moose exactly. is just like, how dare you? How dare you? And I'm like trying to pull you back. And everyone on Twitter who asked whether Croy should be in there is just like. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to like, I want to not sort of stop people's freedom of speech or anything like that. But I'm, I think I'm actually, that's the first what if that's ever actually taken my breath away. I don't think Cruyff does as well as Wenger. I don't think he does. I think short term, maybe there's a bump because I think that people will listen to Cruyff, but I think people will almost be overawed. Mm. You know, I am fully in, you know, I'm not religious at all, but no, I'm fully of the, uh, the Cruyff parish. He's probably my favourite ever footballer, Cruyff, even though I never got to see him play, if that mm. makes sense, which is completely bizarre. But do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Arsenal become the Arsenal they become. I mean, for a start, Cruyff would never be there as long as Wenger did. No. He passed away whilst Wenger was still at Arsenal. But even before that, you know, three years at Ajax, eight years at Barcelona, and then four years as manager of Catalonia later on in his career. This was not a guy who really, really stuck around post-Barcelona. And he would have joined Arsenal after his final season at Barcelona, where they finished third. One thing that would have been interesting was Burkamp and Overmars arriving a couple of years later how they would have worked under Cruyff. That would have been something that was quite interesting. I think the human touch, I think there's a, this, I think the dressing room, I think that's a real problem for Cruyff. Yeah, like, so I, my, my first reaction was actually that I don't think players like Ian Wright get the love and care that they need. Because I think one thing that was really interesting, when we, when we spoke to Gary Lineker that time, we did a, for those who I'm glad ha- you haven't mentioned heard this. that. I was going to mention this, I'm glad you did, yeah. Before we joined the ringer way back, the first interview we did was with Gary Lineker. We did two back-to-back, one with Gary Lineker and one with Ian Wright about the art of finishing, basically the art of being a striker. And Gary Lineker talked really interestingly about his time at Barcelona when Cruyff came in yeah, and how Cruyff never really fancied him. Now, I wonder whether that happens to Ian Wright and whether Ian Wright survives at Arsenal long enough to win a double before he leaves. Yeah, he plays, he plays Gary Lineker on the wing. Mm. that's the thing that when you bring in someone like Cruyff and here's the thing as well, it's not just, you're not bringing in peak Cruyff. You're bringing in Cruyff like after the intent, like he coached at Barca and the intensity that takes out of you, right? Mm. The whole dream team took a lot of him. Let's not forget what it culminated with pretty much the defeat and the, the thrashing in the Champions League final, mm. the destruction of that Barcelona team by AC Milan, that casts a big shadow. And you just, I know these are all intangibles, but, Cruyff coming into a job, like the Arsenal job, you're not invincible anymore. You've lost your stripes in front of the whole of Europe or lost one big stripe. And mm-hmm. then you've got Ferguson, that Sir Alex Ferguson, hungry for his first Champions League. That Ferguson against that era Cruyff is a mismatch. Mm. It's a mismatch. Like early Cruyff, 92 Cruyff against Ferguson. Okay, now we're talking but this is a different kettle, right? People are still, Wenger was ascending off away potentially from winning a Champions League and then this conversation doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. He was so close. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's easy. You've got to remember where this Barcelona was at this time when Cruyff left. You know, they, like I said, they finished third in La Liga. The, the year before that, they finished fourth. But in, the, in his final season at Barcelona, they got knocked out in the UEFA, the UEFA Cup. They weren't even in the, the Champions League or the European Cup. They got knocked out in the UEFA Cup by Bayern in the semi-final. They lost the Copa del Rey to Atleti. The season before that, they finished fourth in La Liga. 
they also went out in the quarterfinals of the Champions League that year to PSG. Mm. So this was very much a Barcelona on the decline compared to where Cruyff had taken them. Right. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he couldn't have success at Arsenal, but I think that so much of... We've said this before about Arsenal, that so much of what happened during that early period of, you know, 96, 97 to 2005, 2006, basically, was very deliberate. Think of how many times that Arsenal sold players or signed players where the response was really mixed. Yes. Even a little bit, not angry, but people were a little bit like, what's going on here? Like selling an Elka, prime example. We actually did this as the what if. Right. You know, if Arsenal keep Anelka, we think they're worse. Yep, I agree. With the Anelka money, you pay for a new training ground and you buy Thierry Henry. Selling over Mars and Petit to Barcelona when they did was really, really eyebrow raising at the time. But neither of those players really went on to achieve anywhere near the level that they did at Arsenal. I think this is the thing that everything was so deliberate and thought out at Arsenal that I'd wonder, as big a fans as we are of Cruyff, one of the major consistent things that made Arsenal so great during that golden era that Wenger created. Uh, This is, bear in mind, we're talking about what would happen if the guy who was responsible for the most successful period in Arsenal's history didn't arrive and someone else did. But it was Harmony. Exactly. Harmony was a massive, massive, massive factor in Arsenal being as successful as they did. And as much as I love Cruyff, I don't think he would have brought that level of harmony. Right. And that's exactly how I feel about it. I feel like the, the first thought I had when I heard the idea of Cruyff being there, apart from outrage, was chemistry. Chem- the dressing room. Honestly, I just felt like the, the way that Wenger entered that club, it's like when you're moving a precious vase from one museum to another. Mm. It was so much care, so much like, and there are some clubs where things need to be broken. Arsenal was not a club where things needed to be broken. It wasn't that kind of club. It needed something else. It needed a very gentle, and don't get me wrong, Cruyff at certain places would have gone and created a revolution. I don't mm. think, you know, there's, there's so many things going. When you, when you perform poetry, right, there's always different variables. When I go and perform poetry, there's three things going on. There's me, there's the poem, and there's the audience. The same thing when you're a football manager. There's you, there's the club, and there's the ambience, right? Mm-hmm. And the ambience is something you've got to absolutely nail. And you look at how the ambience is so important because Van Gaal, who gets the job in 97 at Barca, he wins those two league titles, but he's utterly hated because what does he do? He wins the league title in the wrong way. He doesn't win it in the Barca way. So actually winning itself is not enough. Identity and feel and mood. People have to, we were saying this, you know, before, people want to feel they've got their club back. And I think that, you know, Cruyff at Chelsea, different story. Yeah, maybe. I think Cruyff at Chelsea, I think, is a different story. Or Cruyff at Leeds, right? Cruyff at Leeds, something That's like... Shout. Cruyff at Leeds, where you have that... Does that make sense? It makes more mm-hmm. sense, because then you're like, okay, great club, great image, great sort of, okay, but needs an ideology to kind of make it happen. To be honest, and it, I'm sounding a bit harsh there, it's kind of like parallels between Cruyff and Mourinho. Not in terms of the way they play football, but in terms of the way they are quite iconoclastic. Mm. You know? And I don't think Arsenal needed an iconoclast. It needed someone to remind them what the marble halls were there for. Yep, I agree. Anyway. I mean, I, I, obviously I would have loved to have been a fan of a club that had Johan Cruyff as their manager yeah. at some point. Yeah. 
However, I think, you know, really stepping back and analysing, if you look back on that era now and what Arsene Wenger created, because I think so much of what Arsene created in his first decade at the club is tarnished by what he did in his second decade, even though I actually personally agree that some of his best achievements were ones where he didn't win trophies. Yeah. Personally. I agree. It's a little bit kind of like, what more do you want? Oh my God, I'm terrible. I know I actually just went, I went actually, and my, my apologies, I didn't mean to go like, but my, it was my spontaneous, like what Wenger did at Arsenal was absolutely incredible. It's otherworldly. Incredible. I agree. What Wenger did was utterly, I've said this a thousand times to you. We had one of the greatest club managers of all time as Alex Ferguson, maybe the greatest, right? Mm-hmm. And Wenger came in and terrified him. Yep. He terrified him. Wenger came in God knows he terrified me. I keep talking about this. The 4-0 victory when Arsenal beat West Ham and they're 4-0 up in the first half. I have still, I get chills talking about it. I literally got chills just mentioning that. Mm. I was frightened because I had never seen a team attack like that. And you know what? Most of that side wore their shirt tucked in. No one wants that problem. No one wants, that was a terrifying. No thanks. Mark Overmars, um, sorry, last thing. Mark Overmars was so quick that when Roy Keane fouled him in that semi-final, he was already walking off because he knew it was a red. He's <laughs> it's my favourite red card ever. Roy Keane like, I'm done. <laughs> well, I, one thing I'd add in on Wenger as well, I think it's just that the level of humility that he had for a top flight manager, I think is really rare. Yeah. And I think that we're going to learn a hell of a lot, hopefully, when this book comes out. I mean, it's widely known that he he rejected approaches from Bayern Munich I think twice and Real Madrid during his time at Arsenal where he would have probably gone on and won a hell of a lot more he would have won a European Cup probably at Bayern Munich or Real Madrid and he would have then had the trophies to his name which would have put him in the greatest arguably probably I think he would have been up there for one of the greatest coaches of all time if not the greatest coach of all time if he had moved to these other countries and won European Cups but instead he committed to Arsenal because otherwise if they didn't like some I, I, we've touched on this before but his commitment to Arsenal was integral or necessary actually to Arsenal reduce uh, Arsenal receiving the finance that they did in order to move the stadium if he if he if he hadn't have committed to the club then they wouldn't have been able to move and um I think that he's a bit of an anomaly Wenger he's a bit of a unicorn in terms of a manager I yeah. think because he's just hard to it's hard to put in a single box. To be honest with you, you know what he is? He's actually like Cruyff. He is Weirdly, to yeah. management what Cruyff is to football, to playing football, because if you have to name your top five footballers of all time, a lot of people will not name Cruyff, not mm. because he's not top five, but because he exists in a completely separate category. His influence in the game transcends mere trophies. It doesn't even, mm. even though he won plenty, even though Wenger won plenty, Cruyff and Wenger are like different sides of the same coin. Mm. Because Wenger, to me, it's indisputably greater than managers who've won multiple Champions League trophies. Yeah, Indis- indisputably greater in the same way that Cruyff is indisputably greater than footballers who won the World Cup. It's about something else. It's about something else. And yeah. I think in terms of what Cruyff would have done at Arsenal, I mean, he w- might have won a, I don't know if he'd won a league title. I might mean, one or two. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. This knows? Is, because here's the thing. Those titles were not being handed out back then. No, they weren't like, at all. Leeds were coming. Brut- Leeds were brutal at that point. Leeds might come mm. in the door then. So it's, look, you know, I, like I say, I love Cruyff and 
and I say this is people, people, people for years thought I was a, an Arsenal fan because I would so passionately defend Fenger's Arsenal. It. No, it's true, to, it's true. It's true. It's true. I know, I know, but you don't true. have to say like, no because, no, because it shames you. That's why. But the reason I mention it is because imagine being a United fan with Ferguson in charge and like, oh, it's like being a T-Rex. There's nothing that can scare us. And then all of a sudden <laughs> you look into the upper earth atmosphere and some alien is like, oh, I was just passing your planet. And I was like, um, the T-Rex, that's as scary as it comes. Well, uh, <laughs> I got news for you, buddy. And then this kind of like vampire bat with like a kind of like 10 mile wingspan descends on the planet. That's nom, what Venga, that's nom, what Venga, nom, nom. That's what Venga felt, felt like a vampire bat coming from the heavens. <laughs> oh. Shout out to Arsene. I hope you're happy wherever you are, Arsene. Come on the podcast. Oh my God, I would love that. Uh, let's take another break. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Okay, we're back from the break again. This one from Grace Robertson at Grace on Football. Shouts to Grace. Oh, Grace got a great newsletter as well. Check yes, it out. go and subscribe to her newsletter, actually. It is graceonfootball.substack.com. Would thoroughly recommend. Grace says, and the, you know this is good when Kevin Williams, shouts to Kev, follows up just with yes in capitals. <laughs> Grace says, the Barca board tell Pep that he can't have Ibrahimovic. Whoa. Okay, they win, they win in um, 2010. Barcelona win three straight Champions Leagues and Pep goes after the third. Wow. Yeah, that's what happens. And then actually, if he does that, at that point, I think he ends up at United. Oh, shit. Because he's being courted by United. He leaves in 2011, having won three straight Champions Leagues mm. because he does win three straight because there's no one else that beats him in that period apart from that Inter. Nothing else mm -hmm. happened. No one else does it. And, they, and obviously Etu was integral to that, to that 2010 victory. So, I think people forget how great Samuel Etu is sometimes. They or do was, sorry. Yeah, they do forget. If you think about how out of the box putting Ibrahimovic in that side was. It was so... It was really, it was really weird. It would be like just planting Giroud in there. At it one wasn't point. broken. I mean, that's, that's horrible. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's sorry. I mean, I know Zlatan was great, but like, I think that in terms of fit, it never felt right. It wasn't all. broken. It wasn't broken. The Barca team, they just won six trophies in a calendar year. It integrated successfully Pedro and Sergio Busquets into the team. It's astonishing. They did that that fast. Mm. All they had to do was hang on to Etu and they win another one. Mm. And Etu, for those I've mentioned this before, there's an incredible interview he does on French TV where he talks about his differences with Pep and having to win him back over. It's absolutely amazing. And I think that Etu fundamentally was not forgiven for standing up like that because it challenged Pep's authority to the point where he couldn't let it go. This is mm. interesting. Like other players acted as a go-between between, between Pep and Etu mm. because generally speaking, Pep has not responded that well to that kind of personality in his dressing room. It's not, I'm not, I'm not even judging him. I'm just saying that's what, that's how he manages and it's worked for him. I'm not even saying he's a you know, bad person, bad coach for that. Just that I think that Pep is one of those situations where it was almost like he needed a really, a, a stronger number two to be like, do you know what? I know we make no exceptions, but we make it for this person. 
Yeah. It's a bit I, like, sorry, go on, sorry. It was a no, bit no, like, in a, in a weird kind of way, it's why Valverde would have been the perfect successor to that mm. Barcelona. And they did actually look for him and he did actually say no to them. The reason Valverde would have been perfect to take over from that Barcelona would have been, it would have taken the pure ideology of that Barca into a more pragmatic era. So for example, the introduction of someone like Paulinho, the introduction of a player like, not necessarily that player, but a player like Paulinho or a player that kind of wasn't a Barcelona style ideologue to help manage the transition away from that, 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 that particular Pep style. And I think that the reason why Etu was a problem for Pep, not in terms of playing style, but personality, because he represented the hybrid you need for continued success, where you have to allow a little bit greater player autonomy and you just let people slightly more do their thing. Mm. Um, I mean, I'd love to see like Etu, someone like Bayern Munich, for example, as well, because we're giving a bit more of a brief. Um, but yeah, Etu, Etu staying at Barca, they win three straight. I think so as well, because I don't think it's any, I don't think it's any um, coincidence that Barca don't win when Ibrahimovic is there. And everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. They lost by a small margin against Inter and that margin was so small. And it's the kind of margin that Etu basically turns. And Etu playing for Inter. Exactly. So So Etu basically playing for Barca in that tie. Barca go through volcano. Oh, here's, oh my God. Volcano or not. Etu was the volcano all along. Etu's the event. Because here's the thing. Volcano, wow. volcano or no volcano, with, with Etu playing for Barca and not Inter, that team beats Inter. Also, I think that, you know that, that Barcelona side of 2011 that just basically swarmed teams, I think that, that obviously is, is there a year earlier. Of course, yeah. You know? Of course, yeah. Etu was an absolute pest. Terrifying. Like, God, it was, he just looked like, you know, like some, some of the world's greatest strikers, even though they're, they can kill you from anywhere almost, they don't look like they're that much of a stress to play against. It's just like, they're amazing, but like, do you know what I mean? Etu just looked like, I don't think anyone, when Samuel Etu was at his peak, I don't think any defender came off the, off the field and thought, I enjoyed that. No, not, once, not, not once. Not once. Not once. And I think also that's because I think the kind of self-built cult around players like Zlatan made defenders want to go up against them a little bit more. Yeah. I don't think Etu really had that. He had an ego for sure. Yeah, of course. My God, he had an ego. But I think in building this kind of, you know, I came, I saw, I conquered stuff, that wasn't really Eto's energy. No. And therefore I think it brings a very different set of problems. Like Etu would do you with a poison dart. You know what I mean? And you wouldn't notice you're dead. Does that make sense? That makes perfect. You know, I love about, I love about it. I was rewatching some Etu highlights the other day and there's one moment I actually think Etu takes a penalty where he hits it with his, like he hits it with his standing. He, you know that kind of the, the um, Henri, the dummy, mm. the Henri dummy where he, he goes, he fakes one foot, hits the other. Yeah. I keep having to watch this clip and I'm like, I really think Etu takes the penalty with the foot he's dumbing against it. Like he's that mm. confident at that point. The thing about him as a player was he didn't have the aura. He had the ego that's very simple. It's what I call the Richard Pryor ego. There's a great Richard Pryor sketch where he says, look, I, you know, I got my shit too. You respect my shit. I respect yours. <laughs> and he, <laughs> Etu was like very much like that. If he felt you didn't respect him, he came at you. And he wasn't, as, as his later career showed, you could work with Etu. But I think Pep came in and was like, I'm going to lay down the law. And Etu was like, no, you're not. Like, and it was a bit, you know what it was? It was a bit like the kind of Sergio Ramos um, chose a Mourinho dynamic. 
where Mourinho comes into Real and Sergio Ramos is like, look, we've all won a lot of stuff already, you know. Mm. We won stuff when things were really hard. Everyone's like, Pep, and this is maybe the slight resentment with Eto'o, and, and let me slightly get into this a little bit. The resentment with Guardiola coming into Barca, maybe there's an element of Eto'o was like, when I won the Champions League, we had not won it here for 14 years. Mm. And I came in from Madrid via Mallorca into Barca and I won in 2006. Mm-hmm. And now well, that's uh, Chuck Leganes and Espanol yeah, in there as and, well. And you've now come in, you've now come in in 2009 and you're being anointed as the kind of the new face and you're coming in to lay down the law, but we have won big, big things. And we've restored Barcelona to European football. Mm. So put some respect on our name. And then you look around and he's cleaning out people and like, you know, Etu would agree that certain players are unprofessional need to be moved on. But Etu, if you look at it, it was, I think Etu did deserve more respect because he was the face of he was one of the few surviving people from 06 that held his own in the new iteration of Barca, which he doesn't get credit for. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. You know, most, most coaches that make that, most players that make that transition across eras, but Etu basically straddled both. Mm. And he's basically there going, hey, come on, like, respect me. Mm. So if, if, if um, it's not even if the board says no to Ibris, like if Etu also gets his respect, it's about Etu as well. And the positive world is if he gets his respect, and then does he stay beyond, does, does he leave in 20, you know, he goes in 2011, but does Etu stay at Barca for 2012? Mm. Who knows? Because Etu loved it there. Gosh, that, sucked, that question has basically like melted my brain. I don't think the rest of his career plays out the way that it does if he stays at Barcelona either. I think he basically, I don't think the Anzi move happens. No. I mean, maybe he goes to Chelsea earlier instead of Anzi. Maybe he goes somewhere. Imagine if he stays under Pep, right? And actually him and Pep, bond more and they, yeah. they love each other and their relationship's better and then Pep goes to Man United maybe, maybe Etu goes to United don't no don't do that Ryan I don't want do you know what I don't do these <laughs> hypotheticals <laughs> I don't do these don't <laughs> you know I deserve, I deserve that do you know why because I've got a lot of people very excited about alternate futures and they come off the podcast and realise it wasn't real and yeah. now the excitement of the thinking the thought of Samuel Etu Samuel Etu joins Manchester United in 20 20- 11 after they've just lost to Barcelona in the Champions League final. He then proceeds to spend eight years at Manchester United captaining the club. Oh no. And actually this leads into, hang on, I'm going to, there's a, there's another one we had quickly. We can't go into it super deep, but at one sports on Twitter, what if Pogba stays with Man United in 2012? Does he become the same player? Pogba stays at Manchester United is mentored by Etu. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God, I feel sick. I feel sick. And Etu <laughs> never, ever goes to Anzi, Chelsea, Everton, Samp, uh, Antelia Spore, Konya Spore or Qatar. He retires at Manchester United, a club legend. And he's now working as assistant coach with uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. <laughs> Do you know how there are certain... Pogba's you- already captain having already won a Ballon d'Or. The year that Modric won it, Pogba won the Ballon d'Or. How you feeling, Moose? Are you good? You I've good? been like the... <laughs> you good, mate? The Samuel transfer is the Gareth Bale transfer of 2010. Mm. Like, it's that... There are individual... Do you know, I, I feel like... You know that we talk like statement defeats? Defeats that basically like mark a team. In terms of a statement transfer, the Etu transfer or non-transfer 
has got to be one of the greatest what ifs. Yeah, this dude, right? We've been far too sensible in this episode of what ifs. This is, I don't know what's going on with us at the moment, but the last two what if episodes have been way too sensible. That's why I had to throw out the Brexit thing for Portsmouth. <laughs> right? So what I'm saying is- A nuclear Grace, take. Grace Robertson, the great Grace Robertson, Grace on football. If the board say no to Guardiola for Ibrahimovic in 2009, Etu moves to Manchester United in 2011 after they've won the Champions League at Barcelona. Paul Pogba never leaves, which is shout out to One Sports on Twitter. Paul Pogba has already won a Ballon d'Or, is now captain of Manchester United, having been passed down the captaincy when Samuel Etu retired. That's completely plausible. That's completely plausible. Ryan Hun, out. <laughs> you did that slide. <laughs> uh, you couldn't see that, listeners, but I just exited our Google Hangout like Santi Cazorla's unveilment ceremony, unveiling uh, Villarreal, but just reversed. Did you actually see someone reverse the reversed his unveiling video. Oh yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> uh, Shouts to Santi Gazzola, who's got an absolutely unbelievable goal at the weekend, but at walking pace. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there you go. Should we wrap that one? Yeah, let's do it. Let's wrap it. Let's, let's, let's do one more quick one sure, before sure. we go. Pep related again. Out to Damien Garda. He says, in 2013, what if Pep's Bayern signed Neymar instead of Mario Goetze? Oh. Sorry, I, f- I actually felt... Felt a shift in the atmosphere. <laughs> oh my God. Pep, wow. Okay. Bayern win two Champions Leagues. Bayern win two Champions Leagues of the next three. You reckon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that, that, that's, that, that changes. Neymar at that Bayern changes everything. Neymar in that mood, in that mood at that Bayern, it, it's lights out. Neymar, this is the thing that people have to under. Neymar will go down as one of the great footballers of his era, right? He will. Yeah. If he had stayed at Barcelona, he would have been on course. Neymar could have gone top five all time. His trajectory was so extraordinary. Neymar could have gone top five all time. The thought of Neymar going to that Bayern under Guardiola at that point in his career would have sent them both to the moon because he would have been in a league that was strong enough to test him week in, week out. He would have been in the spotlight. What they would have done for the Bundesliga would have been unbelievable in terms of like the eyes on the Bundesliga. Like obviously like there's a long connection between Brazilian players and the Bundesliga anyway. That would have gone into overdrive. I mean, think of what it would have added to that forward line. Oh my God. The forwards that season were Mario Mandzukic, Claudio Pizarro. <laughs> my God. Shout out to Claudio. I just, I just think he was that that extraordinary at that point of his career. And he was full of learning. He was ready to learn. And, and also in intangibles, like the Neymar Tiago connection, mm. what that does then to like Brazil at that world cup. They'd have a lot of fun. You know, like obviously Tiago playing for Spain, but what that does for Brazil at that world cup, Neymar basically goes with all that new gumption mm. into that Brazil team. I think it just changes so much. I think it, yeah, Neymar to Bayern, I think it's two Champions Leagues. I'm trying to think if you didn't really have a, super, a global superstar who was being pursued by every super club in Europe. Right. You didn't really see them land in the Bundesliga at that time. 
that's why Guardiola's appointment at Bayern was so transformative was because it was like the equivalent of a Neymar arriving in the league. It was. I wonder how Neymar's career would be different if he'd had Pep as his first coach in Europe. Because I think what, when he joined Barca, was it Tata Martino? I think so, yeah, 2013. Yeah, it was Tata Martino. So, I mean, while I don't think Martino was anywhere near as bad a coach as a lot of people gave him shit for. He wasn't Pep. He was not Pep. And he's not Pep at that time after no. a sabbatical going no, to well, his no first one, move. No one ever has been. No one ever has no. been. Like that era Pep was probably the best era Pep, I think in terms of, you know, and I've wrote about this in the sartorial piece, but was obviously the four years at Barcelona. But the most interesting point of Pep's career are those three years at Bayern, I think. They're the most intriguing because that's the second album. You know? And the football they played wasn't that far behind. I mean, you could argue with the exception of a couple of like, a couple of games that he got wrong, that Pep at, Pep at that Bayern was extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to look at it in the, you know, can I drop a Radiohead reference or? When can you not? Okay. It's literally, Just, we literally have this podcast. We can drop it. It's literally why we got it. Yeah. If Barca was okay computer, you know, then Bayern was his kid A because it was when he really got into the like, right, I'm going to do something different here. See, I actually think that, the, I think Bayern was his uh, amnesiac. Oh, no, I disagree actually, because I think that, um, I think the first year at City is his amnesiac. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there it is. Oh my God. <laughs> they're <laughs> they're going to come for us. They're gonna... <laughs> Why? Because then the second, think about it, because then the second season at City and the third season at City, it is in rainbows. Yeah, but I think amnesiac's amazing. Yeah, I do as well. They're going to come for you the first year at City, but Ryan, the first year at City, was, not, it wasn't the Death Star, was it? Let's be real, it wasn't the Death Star. You've gone really quiet. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed because I know they're going to come for us. Hey, well, they won't. <laughs> they're gonna, all, they will. Dude, we're just, it's a what if episode. Nothing, we've just said that if Abramovich bought Portsmouth, then Brexit doesn't happen. I it's live, like, what is I this? Like, the, yeah. If people take any of this seriously, <laughs> then we're all, we're all more fucked than we thought we were. But there's going to be a day that they come, I just, I'm trying to, I'm always afraid there's going to be a day that they come for us. I'm like, what's it going to be? And I'm always watching for threats. I'm always there you watching. go. If Neymar, if Neymar goes to Bayern under Pep, then there's no COVID. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, what, what, I mean, what do you want from me? <laughs> That's it. That's the take. Right. We're done here. We're t- <laughs> I think we should probably go. I mean, we've... <laughs> I'm getting dehydrated. Are we, are, are we going to analyse this seriously? Or is this a bit of a jokey one? Yeah. It's, it's, you know what it is? What we'll do? Okay, Neymar, Neymar to Bayern. Quite seriously. I think he moves to Barca still. Yeah, I think so. After that, I think after that. But the beauty is he, he moves to Barca and then he stays at Barca longer. Right. This is it. Let's get serious now because yeah, we yeah. need to do a deep dive so, on this. Okay. Right. So, 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 so I think he stays at, I think he goes to Bayern for the three years that Pep's there. Yes. Now, obviously in our previous what if, we discussed that Pep would probably go to Manchester United if Etu had stayed. But this is a separate... Time we've, we've got, we're, we're, yeah, this is, a different, this is a different world. Yeah. Um, and it's our podcast. So... Let's say Neymar at Bayern for three years. They obviously win the Bundesliga anyway. Yes. You think they win two Champions League? I think so. Do you think they still get Lewandowski? I mean, why not? I mean, then you've got Lewandowski in that second year of Pep. Lewandowski is basically his, Lewandowski is what Zlatan was meant to be. You consider it that way, because Pep always wanted that centre forward, right? That's what Zlatan was, I think that still happens. And then when Neymar goes to Barcelona, 
he doesn't have the whole wanderlust of wanting to leave and prove himself PSG style. He's already been the guy. So then he joins Messi at Barca and he succeeds Messi and he goes in and becomes top five all time. Do you think Neymar's enough to get past Real Madrid in that 2014 Champions League? That Neymar? Absolutely. I mean, because Bayern didn't score a goal in that tie. That Neymar, absolutely. That Neymar was a monster. Honestly, like his level then was... Then Real Madrid don't get the decima. Nope. Under Ancelotti. Nope. Ronaldo still hasn't won a Champions League at Real Madrid at this point. I can see that. Barcelona win in 2015, but obviously Neymar's not there. He's at Bayern. So did Bayern win in 2015? That's one of the ones that he wins, I think. I mean, he is so integral to that Barcelona front three. Exactly. I think he wins 14 and 15. I think he wins those two. Yeah, I think 16 is a little bit of a stretch. I, I think he wins 14 and 15. Those are the ones I was thinking of. So that means they've won three straight Champions Leagues then, because they won that final one under Yup in 2013. Yeah, I can, I, I can see that. I can see that. It's that Pep we're talking about. And then Neymar goes to Barcelona in 2016 because he's only got one year left on his contract, let's say. If you know how spicy years. that makes the Classico. Well, think about it. So Neymar goes to Bayern, uh, goes to Barca in, at the end of the 2016 season. So 2015-2016. Yeah. So he signs at the beginning of 2016. So June, July 2016. Having matured as a player. Right. He's still at Barca. Of course he is. He's still there with a the Ballon d'Or probably as well. Well, here we go. Messi doesn't leave. No, Messi he doesn't, doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to leave. Why would you leave? And then, in, I mean, Barca haven't won the Champions League by now, but do you reckon they, they win in 2017? It's his first season there, not his final season. Yeah, I do. I do. They'd be facing Real Madrid in the final. Oh my goodness. You'd love to see it. Classic final in the a Champions classic, League. That is... Oh. Fuck. Of course, Barca. I, of course, Barca win that. So in that sense, I don't think Barca win in 2015. I think they win two in the latter stages of the final decade, though. Mm, yeah. Because I also think Neymar moving to Barcelona then, after three years at Bayern, you don't get Griezmann, you don't get Coutinho, you don't get Dembele, no. you don't get all of that wasted money at no, Barca. You don't. As long as well, this is obviously with the caveat, just assuming that they haven't done that beforehand but they wouldn't have the money Neymar moves to Bayern Munich on a four year deal yeah and he goes to Barcelona with one year left on his contract knowing that he's not going to sign yeah they're not going to be able to get over 100 million euros from at that time no no there's no way no so Barcelona don't have this burning hole of money like (laughs) this, this massive pile of cash burning a hole in their pocket they don't make the catastrophic signings that they've made since everything looks a little bit rosier at Barca I think I mean, Bayern do get their coin. They, they might get 100, you know, because it's Bayern. Yeah, maybe they do. But, but even yeah, so, they're, still, not, get, they're not yeah. getting 222 million euros. No, no. And even if they do, they wouldn't go and spend it in the way that Barca does. So the landscape of European football is a little bit different in terms of transfer policy. I mean, anything worse than losing Neymar for that amount of money was the fact that everyone then knew that you had it. That is an incredible... These questions were... They're great, man. Amazing. I think we should wrap it. That's, that's a lot. Can my I say, my I, head's a little bit... Pickled now. That was just that was just such a strong hypothetical there. Um, a strong. It's <laughs> been a while, man. Yeah. What? And what, can I say as well? Just really happy to see the concept of the what if gaining such popularity. Oh, there he is. <laughs> That's all I'll say on that. <laughs> Good times. Really enjoyed that. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who submitted what ifs. And um, yeah, hope you enjoyed that one. It was far too sensible for the opening half of that. That's why we had to go long and just. It went in, yeah, exactly, went in. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at Stadio, on Instagram at Stadio Football. Our website is stadio.football, but make sure you check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. 
Anything else you want to add, Musok Wonga, before we get out of here? As I sit here at my desk uh, on quite a hot summer's evening, <laughs> all I can think of is really just uh, just stay hydrated. <laughs> I guess just stay hydrated. This troll. There's <laughs> <laughs> always a new way to drop it in. Uh, I thought we'd play out on something quite apt, seeing as this was a what if episode. We're playing out on Q for You, a track called Plastic Vision. It's a little bit rowdy, this. We haven't played out on something rowdy for a while. But um, yeah, have a great weekend, everyone. We'll be back on Monday unless Lionel Messi announces his Newcastle transfer in the meantime. <laughs> or if he already has. Caveats, caveats. Uh, stay well, everyone. I hope you're doing all right. And uh, yeah, we'll be back on Monday. Take care. Catch you soon. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.